few weeks ago, I, I started having this pain in my upper arm. It was just awful. It just, I'd never felt anything quite that painful. And it finally got bad enough. I, nothing seemed to help, so I called, the, I called the chiropractor up. And I wanted to go see the chiropractor. And I don't know about you guys. I don't know if some of you go to the same chiropractors I go to. I love those guys. I don't know about you, but they make me feel good. And they, they just seem to know how to pop things and make things work. And I went in there just wanting them to pop me, but they have this habit of sitting you down and talking to you first. And they want to know how you're doing, they want to know what you're doing. And they ask the question, now what do you think caused this pain? And that used to be an easy answer, because I could say, well, I was moving something and I wrenched my back and I knew it was going to hurt, or I spent the weekend pulling weeds and I knew it just, you know, I overdid it and that's what's happened. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten to a certain age where the answer is no more, the answer is not in what I did, the answer is in what I didn't do for the last 30 or 40 years, you know? The answer is in some bad habits that I've developed. And as it turns out, the the pain in my arm is because of a pinched nerve in my neck because I sit wrong. And because I lean on, well actually I lean on this arm, but that causes things to happen over here. And so the answer isn't just pop snap, you're better. The answer is you have to change the way you've been doing things, the way you've become comfortable doing things for the last 50 some years. You've got to change the way that you've been doing that. And, and I don't want that answer. I want, I want him to crack my neck. I want a brace for my arm that I can wear, maybe a heating pad to make it feel better. And I want a couple, three Advil every few hours, and then I will be fine. But no, those make me feel better, but those do not address the problem. For my body to be truly healthy, all the parts need to be working together. All the parts need to be doing what they're designed to do. We don't need to be just relying on my rear end to take the brunt for everything. We need everything to work together. That keeps the stress off my arm, which keeps my, uh, keeps my elbow from hurting, which, which keeps my back from hurting, that allows me to continue pain-free. Now, now chances are, some of you have hit that point in life where you've heard similar advice. You've gotten a similar advice from a, from a doctor, and, and you, you've, you've, you've heard that physically, but we need to take that advice that we've been given physically, and we need to hear it spiritually today. We need to hear it as the church because that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to us here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. In Ephesians 4, 16, he says of Jesus, now tell me if this doesn't sound familiar from a physical standpoint and from a spiritual spiritual (laughs) place, spiritual place, standpoint. He says of of Jesus, of Christ, from whom, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I don't know if you heard that, but he says of the church, when each part is working properly properly when the whole body of Christ is working then the whole body of Christ is healthy as we've made our way through Ephesians we've moved beyond 
who we are as individual parts of the body of Christ. That we are individually we are saved. Individually we are chosen. We are forgiven. We have been adopted as God's children. Now the question is, what happens when all those parts start working together? What does it look like when we truly are functioning as one, supporting one another, and doing the things that we are designed to do? And that's where Paul takes us next in his letter to the Ephesians. We're looking at chapter 4, verses 7 through, 4, excuse me, 7 through 16. And you've heard this before. We've heard this said before, but have we ever really stopped to consider what it implies? Have we ever really stopped to consider what we are to gain from understanding that the church, in, in practical terms, the church is the body of Christ? You know, to say we are the body of Christ, it's, it's not just a handy little phrase. It's not just a, a nickname for the church. It's not just a handy way to refer to the church. The body of Christ identifies us. It identifies the way that we work together. Now, if you remember from last week, we ended last week in, in Ephesians 4 with a very important message about unity. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, that's where Paul wrote, Therefore, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to one hope that belongs to your call. There's one body. I want you to hear that. There is one body. There is one church. The church cannot be divided. And then Paul goes on in verses 5 and 6. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The unity, that's the unity that we know as the church. That's the unity that we stand on. That's the unity that we build on and where we stand together. And then verse 7 comes in. And verse 7 starts with the word, but. There's a but thrown in here. And he's going to show us something different. What he's going to show us is that the unity that we experience does not mean uniformity. Unity does not come from uniformity. Unity is not about all of us doing the same things. Unity is about all of us working together. He says there in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You see, saying the church is the body of Christ, that doesn't just define who we are as a group. It defines how we relate to each other as individuals. It's like recognizing that that just because the hand does not quite look like a foot, that doesn't mean that your hand and foot aren't connected. That doesn't mean that they don't need each other. It doesn't mean that they don't work together. In fact, they're part of the same body. They have to function together. Each part is essential. That's what Paul was telling us in that video that you saw there. That's what the video was about and what Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses, verse 12. He says, for just as the body, the physical body, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, and all our members of the body, though, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And then he goes on in verse 21 and says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I mean, that would be ridiculous. Paul is playing up the ridiculousness of it. The, the eye's not going to say, I can see fine. I, I don't need my hand. I don't need you to see. That's not how the body works together. And we get that physically, right? We, we understand that physically. If one day we wake up and our hand doesn't work, we know something went wrong, right? 
If one day you wake up and, and you, you, you can't get your hand and your eye to work together, there is a problem. And you might go to the doctor and find out that, that you're sick. You may go to the doctor and find out that you've had a stroke. You may go to the doctor and find there's a tumor pressing on something and it's just not all working together. We get that physically. Something's wrong. But the call is to recognize the same in the body of Christ, the same in the church. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He, he says in verses 22 and 23, he says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker, they're indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow a greater honor. And, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. <laughs> our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. I always think of Connor when I read that. Uh, Connor doesn't get modesty. Connor doesn't understand modesty, and, and he's a 16-year-old boy, so just put those together in your head and, and let, let that go wherever you want it to go. And Part of caring for Connor is us giving him modesty, right? Part of what we do is we give him his dignity, we give him his modesty, we, we take care of him that way, and I think we get that when we talk about taking care of someone else. There are many ways that we honor people who simply don't have the ability to honor themselves. There's many ways that we give people dignity and we give people uh, the, the, the modesty that they need. We get that when we're caring for someone who's maybe disabled, but what does that look like as a church? What does that look like as the body of Christ? Last week we looked at verse 2 here in Ephesians 4, and some of you seem to have liked verse 2. Verse, verse 2 says that we are to bear with one another in love. And I told you that word bear with, it literally means put up with. <laughs> you put up with one another in love. And, and, and some of you must have heard that really well because it came back to me a few times this week. Well, we're just putting up with you in love, you know. I hope the emphasis is on the in love part, though. You know, that's, that's the emphasis that Paul is giving it, that it's in love. And hopefully we realize that, yeah, that means that there are people in our lives, there are people that, that need to be handled with care, and, and sometimes, sometimes that means we need to be handled with care. But, but just because a person needs to be handled with care, that doesn't mean they're not part of the body of Christ. The, the body of Christ doesn't just define how we serve together, it also defines how we care for each other. And you know what we experience physically in our in our physical bodies, it also happens spiritually in the body of Christ. When we don't serve together, when we don't serve together, the body of Christ atrophies. You know the word atrophy? Are you familiar with the word atrophy? Have we heard that? Has a doctor said the word atrophy to us? Can we define the word atrophy? I looked it up in the dictionary. I looked it up, and, and atrophy is defined this way. Gradual decline in effectiveness or vigor due to underuse or neglect. Does that sound familiar? Heard that before? Let me say it again. Gradual decline in effectiveness or vigor due to underuse or neglect. Maybe your doctors said the word atrophy to you. Maybe it's a hard word to take in. Maybe you'd be more comfortable with Jeff Foxworthy's uh, Redneck Dictionary. You guys ever see Jeff Foxworthy and his 
Redneck Dictionary. He has a word in the Redneck Dictionary. The word is used to could. You know the word used to could? Can you dance? Nah, but I used to could. Give me some time and I might could again, you know? Used to could. We get that. Used to could. Atrophy. Back to the dictionary definition. Atrophy happens due to underuse or neglect. In other words, we get lazy. We get lazy and suddenly our legs don't work right. We get lazy and suddenly our back hurts or we develop a pain in our arm because of the pinched nerve in our neck. And that's debilitating physically. But what does that do to the body of Christ? What does that do to the church? Paul goes on in verses 12 and 13. And he talks about why Jesus has given us different gifts. Why we've been gifted in different ways with different ways to serve. He says he's done this in verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now these are all positives. These are all the positives that happen when the church is working together, when the church is serving together. And the result is we are equipped to meet the needs of other people. The church is built up. We become mature. We become united in our faith. But what if we atrophy? What if, what if we atrophy? What then? Then there's no unity. There's no maturity. There, there's no needs being met. The, the church becomes a used to could. We used to could do this. We used to could do that. And just like atrophy, just like my sore arm, the, the answer is simple. The doctor just had to say, you can't sit at that desk all day. <laughs> you got to get up off your rear every now and then. And we can't just sit around. We can't just sit around and, and let, let my back and everything below it take the brunt of everything that I'm doing. It, it has to be shared. We can't just sit around and let a few people take on all the work. You know, I'll, never, I'll never forget when, when Joe passed away. Joe Harmon, when, when Joe passed away, Joe was an amazing servant. Now, Joe was a, for those of you who might be newer, Joe was an elder in the church. But while he was an elder, he was always a deacon, wasn't he? I mean, that deacon, the word deacon means servant. Joe was a servant. And when Joe passed away, I remember Bob Walker stepped up and Bob said, you know, that man served, someone needs to pick up the slack. And Bob started serving. Bob started taking care of some things in the building and taking care of our people. Bob started serving and, and caring for others just, just as Joe had. But I hope what you hear is it's not just about serving because the church needs people to serve. It's about serving because serving because of what serving does to your faith, how it grounds you in your faith, how how serving cements your beliefs. Verse 14 Paul writes so that you know if if we are serving, if we are growing so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What does serving do for you? It matures your faith. I don't have to tell you, there's a lot of deception in this world. There's a lot of very deceptive things happening in this world. And there's a lot of very deceptive things being taught in churches today. Things that simply aren't part of our faith. And a big 
Part of the problem is we've just gotten too lazy to know the difference. We've gotten too lazy to know the difference between truth and, and what just sounds good. I tell you how often I see something posted on Facebook. You know, I'll see a, a nice, wonderful post on Facebook and someone's got a pretty picture behind it. It's got maybe a flower or you know, a sunset and it looks beautiful and boy, it just sounds so good. It makes me feel good to see that post and, and you click like or you click share or you comment on it and say amen. So often there's no truth. There's no truth behind any of it. It's not solid and, and we're simply deceiving ourselves. And again, Paul calls us the body of Christ. That's who we are as the church. And as the body of Christ, that tells us that the measure of our maturity will be the character of Christ. The measure of our maturity is how well we reflect the character of Christ. How much do our actions, how much does our mindset, how much do our hearts and our hands look like Jesus? Later on in this chapter, I'm going to warn you, this is coming up in another week or two. So, Later on in this chapter, in verse 28, Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. In other words, do the, do the things that we do look like the things that Jesus would do? Are we doing the things that, that Jesus would do? Then he's got verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do the things we say sound like Jesus? Do the things we post sound like Jesus? If we're truly the body of Christ, then, then Christ is our standard. And we will judge our maturity. Our maturity will be judged by how well we reflect His character. So rather than being deceived, look at where Paul points us in verse 15. Rather than being deceived, rather, verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. <laughs> Speaking the truth in love. That is a tall order these days. I mean, it's a, it's a tall order because there's a lot of people who think they're speaking the truth, but it's not truth. And there's a lot of people who do speak truth, but they, they don't speak it in love. There's no love in what they're saying. And I don't care how true it is. If there's no love, then, then there's nothing of Christ in it. If you can't speak the truth in love, then you've not been called to speak the truth. It all needs to be done in love. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a, there's a progression here. You kind of notice that if you look back in verse 2, Paul talks about bearing with one another in love, putting up with one another in love. And then verse 15, speaking the truth in love, but it doesn't end there. It goes on to verse 16. It says of Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. From bearing with one another to love, within love, to speaking the truth in love, to growing ourselves up together in love. Does the love of Christ define our relationships? Does it 
define the way we interact with each other, the way we nurture each other, and the way that we interact with outsiders? Or have we let the love of Christ atrophy? Have we let the love of Christ lose its vigor due to underuse or neglect? Have we crippled the body of Christ? And have we crippled His love? Again, I want to go back to verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. That, that's the goal. That we grow up so that the body matches the head. So that when, when people look at us, they see Jesus. So when people hear us speaking, they hear Jesus. When people see us serving, they see Jesus serving. They see Jesus loving. They see Jesus caring. That happens as we serve. That happens as we help other people serve. We build each other up in love. A few weeks ago, I guess it was at Gracie's graduation party. We had a great time at Gracie's graduation party. Oh my goodness. Some wonderful ladies stepped up and helped us out that week, and that was a wonderful thing. We had a good time. There's a bunch of us back here in the fellowship hall during Gracie's graduation party. And, and you know, just like when you get a whole bunch of people together in one room and they're all having a good time, some of us took out our cell phones and started playing. And we were playing together, though. We started playing, and we got out Snapchat. And we started playing with the Snapchat filters. You ever play with the Snapchat filters? You know, you, you pull out the Snapchat, you take a picture, and it makes you look like a dog or gives you bunny ears or something. It does something goofy. Sometimes your eyes bug out. And so we started having a lot of fun with Snapchat. We're sitting over there just laughing and laughing and looking at all these pictures. I got to tell you, though, some of us, some of us, uh, some of us made awful pretty girls. We looked awful pretty uh, with, with that filter. And some of us, Steve was just ugly. Uh, you know, you look at him now. Just be glad he's a man, because he was just ugly, ugly man. Uh, I was going to put the picture up there, but ooh, it was really bad. We laughed because the face, <laughs> thank you, Steve. We laughed because the face didn't match the body. We laughed because we said, oh, that's not what I look like. And so we laughed at it. We, we got a big kick out of it. We got people in our world, they don't come to, they don't come to church but they know what Jesus looks like. And when I say what He looks like, I mean they know what His love looks like. They know what Jesus' way of caring for people was like. They know what Jesus' forgiveness looks like. And sometimes it's like they're looking at us and they've got that Snapchat filter that's supposed to make us look like Jesus. And they laugh because what they see doesn't match the face. What they see doesn't match what they know Jesus is supposed to look like. They don't see His love. They don't see His compassion. They're, they're not laughing. They're saying, see, that's, that's why I won't believe. Because even they don't believe. That's why I won't believe. Because, because they don't even believe it. It's not real to them. And if His own followers aren't acting like Him, then why would anyone want to be a Christian? The fact is, Paul says, grace has been given to us to serve. Grace has not been given to us to sit. Grace has not been given to us to sit, but to serve. And there are so many opportunities for us to serve here. If you want to know about a few of them, there are some ladies that would love to talk to you about VBS this summer. There are wonderful opportunities to serve 
in the church, serve in our community, to serve each other. And I promise you this, as you serve, you will get back more than you give. You will be blessed back more than the way that you've blessed others. And I also promise you this, because the Word of God says it, as we serve the body of Christ, the church will be built up in love. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we stand and, and pray. But give us the energy and, and give us the hearts that we need to stand and serve. You've called us to be the body of Christ. And, and we want that to be a, a healthy and whole functioning body, functioning together and supporting one another. We ask for You to open our eyes to see the needs before us and how we can be part of the solution that You've provided for our community. Lord, we want people to see the love of Jesus. Not, not just hear about it. Let them see His love in the way we serve. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.